Would you call yourself a socialist? Uh, no. You've never told a lie in politics? No, no. See, somebody sent me a video action last Friday and it had you talking at the Socialist Community oh, Political right. School. Yes, yes. And you mentioned the word comrade uh, about four times in a minute. What was that about? It was a rally and I would have been about 25 years old. Comrade, 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 comrade. Liz Lambert said no. problem, reaction, solution. Do you think that's what's going on? They're causing a problem, this government, with between us and the Maoris. And then there's going to be reaction, obviously, from us, from all of us, mm. because it's both sides are slinging mud at each other. And then they'll come in with a solution. And the solution will be a permanent leftist uh, mm. or communist yeah, society, I think. Right. So you think they might want crime and, and uh, violence to increase so that they can come in with their solution of having a, a totalitarian regime that's fully digitised and you can't move, breathe, without um, the government knowing about it. I think that's what this is all about, dividing well, us. Well, 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 you have to ask yourself why they are trying to sanitise or, or sort of uh, make an alliance with the mongrel mob. What's that all about? You're listening to Liberty NZ. My name is Grant Edwards, and with me is Dennis Hall. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Grant. Dennis, we, uh, we talked a little bit about the um, Treaty of Waitangi documents and um, how they relate to the musket wars and the musket wars are something that most of us were never really taught much about. Um, and, and when you say musket wars, you have this idea, and I don't know why we have this idea. We have this idea that the, the musket wars were between um, British people coming to New Zealand and the Maoris, but that's just simply not true. Is it Dennis? It's no, it's not. It's uh, the musket wars were, <clears throat> between Maori and Ma uh, uh, Maori against Maori. So it was Maori armed with muskets, um, fighting with other Maoris armed with stones and sticks, basically. So, when did they start those musket wars? Uh, 1807 is when they say they started. And, and, uh, and from what I can gather, um, that was um, really um, started by Hongi Hika, yeah. who, um, had, he was, he was a, a much tattooed Maori chief who uh, was taken to Britain as a celebrity, really, and uh, and showed around London and stayed in, um, you know, famous country houses and uh, met all the intelligentsia and the and the and the government people and, and he was given a lot of gifts and uh, he took those gifts back to Australia. On the way back, he stopped in Australia at Sydney, and of course, those gifts were the kinds of things that were much more interesting to you know, the, the wealthy people of Sydney than what they were to him. And so he turned that into money, spent the money on buying muskets and came back to New Zealand armed to the teeth with muskets and powder and shot, taught his people how to use the muskets and went on a, on a, on the beginning of a rampage. And uh, of course was easily able to defeat the tribes that he um, 
he attacked uh, because obviously he he was he was armed with firearms and they were not. Um, and so those musket wars uh, were something that something that the the sort of academia and others in New Zealand don't like talking about because they kind of contradict the narrative, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and, and they do that. And uh, I remember when I was a kid at school, the nuns used to tell us about uh, the Maoris being um, being cannibals. <clears throat> and they, but they were very cagey about how they talked about that. And, and the reason was because it's a little bit unpalatable, if you know what I mean, especially for kids. Uh, but they did actually... You know, tell us a bit of it, um, but they the musket wars was something that never got mentioned at all. <clears throat> and uh, but anyway, and they went on until, um, as far as the history is concerned, when you look up the history on websites in New Zealand, it says that the musket wars ended in eighteen thirty seven, um, and that's like three years before the treaty was signed. Provided that that happened in January eighteen thirty seven, of course. Uh, but so the the number of people who died in the musket wars was is said to be somewhere between twenty thousand and fifty thousand, depending on who you believe, and and so uh, I dare say that they could probably sort out a more accurate number if they really wanted to make the effort. But at the same time, it's about propaganda and it's about what um, what is palatable to the to the people and and also I suppose what's important um, to to people. So the number of a lot of people died. They were all married. And they were all killed with muskets, and, and by other marrying, and so that um, doesn't, as I say, that doesn't fit the narrative uh, in today's world. So we don't talk about that, uh, and, and so those wars. If you th- if, if you if you just said right, okay, let's accept the low number of twenty thousand people uh, over over forty years or thirty something years. Um, then, then uh, you know, it's almost hard to call it a genocide because you know if the wars were frequent and they're going to be killing three to five hundred at a time, if you know what I mean, and mm. and there would be big spaces in between them, in between the, the skirmishes, uh, yeah. and and so, uh, and and in some places those spaces between the skirmishes could be three to five years, out of that many years, and so we get up to eighteen thirty seven when it was supposedly ended. Um, but at the same time, history contradicts itself and says that it went on until um, early um, in the 1840s or halfway through the 1840s. Mm. And so the treaty was signed in 1840, um, and and it was and and that was in February, February 1840. And so, if for example the musket wars ended in the middle of let's say the middle of 1837, that's only two and a half years. Mm. So. That two and a half years could have easily been the similar gaps between various skirmishes in the past. Right. So and they didn't have email, did they? To organise themselves, they had to be. It all had to go on foot. To, that's to right. Everything was done on foot and mm. and, and and word of mouth. Yeah, and it would so, have taken years to get to that treaty in eighteen forty. And so then, so then the the treaty would have had to be mooted. Mm. Um, apparently, two hundred and fifty. Mary chiefs signed it, mm-hmm. um, but it would have had to have been mooted, mm-hmm. uh, written, talked agreed about, upon, yep. talked about, um, and, and and to disparate people all over the country, mm-hmm. and so all of that would take time. So uh, that process must have started, I think, at, at maybe after one of the last skirmishes of the musket wars, and so because it would have had to have taken a couple of years, yes. surely, to get we- it organised and. 
we're under the impression that um, was it Hobson just wrote the thing, you know, on the weekend of the, you know, Waitangi Day for them to sign. But that's not and, true, and, is it? Well, uh, well, it's it's true that that's the impression we're given. Yeah. But can we believe it? I mean, yeah, can I we really we can. believe no. that, that, that the whole thing was set up in a couple of weeks? Yeah. Um, given the fact that there was no communications, I just yeah. uh, it's an impossibility. So, so your so thesis, the, the, your thesis, Dennis, is that. The Treaty of Waitangi was specifically to bring peace to the warring Maoris, and the Maoris were getting massacred by the, uh, the by the fact that these that some of these tribes had muskets, and they wanted uh, um, England to rescue them from it so they could live in peace. So the Treaty of Waitangi was all about Britain bringing peace to Maori people, not about some bringing peace between the the, uh, the Crown and Maori people, but actually um, stopping Maori from killing one one another. Exactly. Why else would it be? Why, you know, and so you've got to ask, uh, you know, in, in amongst that equation, you have to ask why it is that, uh, that academia and the authorities have basically allowed that whole story of the musket wars to be sort of set aside and ignored. Uh, they're they're ignoring, ignoring it for a reason, and that They've is because agenda, it contradicts. Yeah. Yep, it, it contradicts the reality, you know. And, and so so then we've got these Maoris have lined up through Hobson and whatever to sign this treaty, which must have taken some time to assemble and and, uh, and some time to discuss and whatever, because they, they would have had to know what it was they were signing. They wouldn't have done that in a weekend. That's right. Um, so, yep. so, uh, that process started much closer to what we call the end of the musket wars than what we're being led to believe, I believe. Um, and, and so then the next part of that situation is you've got Queen Victoria, mm-hmm. <coughs> Wikitoria, mm-hmm. who, who is the, the, um, the queen and empress of the greatest uh, empire in human history at that time. No and, doubt about and, or, that. Or ever for that matter. Mm, that's right. No doubt Greater about than the it. Roman Empire, yep. Yeah, global. And so why would they agree to a co-sharing partnership arrangement with a bunch of disparate tribes at war with one another in a place on the other side of the planet? You know, that's they didn't do that with Australia, with the United States, with Canada, with Kenya and all these other places. They just didn't do that. They yeah. just... Uh, they basically took over and ruled the place, and mm. and they and they did that with in, in, in the United States, of course, which is now the most pow- powerful country in the world. Mm. They they didn't sign a co-management agreement with the Americans, um, and and the Americans had to fight a civil war or, or fight a a, um, a war of independence mm. to get free of the British. So the idea that 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 you know that kills the idea. That back in New Zealand, they'd say, "Oh well, why don't we have a partnership with these people?" It's just silly. Um, and, and so, <clears throat> the other aspect of that treaty signing was that that war, that musket war, was going on, and yet those tribes who were unarmed didn't weren't seeking to sign a truce or a treaty with the tribes who were attacking them. They were seeking to sign a treaty with the British because the British were in a position to defend them and, and save them. And so, so not only from the warring tribes that warring against themselves, but also perhaps the French and the Spanish who were eyeing this country. They, they, wanted, they, they felt that, that the UK, that, that Great Britain, would be a safer bet to um, d- draw up something for them to, to give them peace and some law and order. 
Well, whenever you read about this, they always mention the um, input from the French or the fact that the Maoris were worried about the French. Mm. But I mean, the French weren't running around massacring them with, with guns, although mm. they might have been causing a little bit of trouble here and there, like Akaroa or something. Yeah. But, but, but basically, um, the, the, uh, you know, basically, the French were a threat, but they weren't the immediate threat. The immediate threat were their own people. With their own and people. They, didn't yeah. sign, they didn't sign a treaty with them. They signed it with the British. Yeah. And so the, the British would have been dictating the terms, mm. and there was absolutely no reason why the British would want to have a co-leadership agreement with Maori. And so that whole business, in the absence of um, – I think right now, if I leap back to the fact that um, we didn't, as a, I mean, I'm 80 years old, and as a child in the 40s, being taught about Maoris, we never talked about that unpalatable stuff about cannibalism, and they, they you know, they, they skimmed over it. They said that there were Maori wars between Maoris, and we got all that, but that was it was kept um, low key. And the reason was because we were at school with Maori kids, and there was no reason why anybody would want to make them feel uncomfortable. And so that applied to ordinary New Zealanders and the entire population of New Zealand. Why would you want to talk? It's it's just it's like they say, don't talk about the war. Yeah, that's um, right. And when you were the, when like, the German, try not to talk about the war. Yeah, the, the Germans don't talk about the Nazis, you know. Um, and you know that that that, Ma, that the British or the Crown would never sign a co-partnership agreement when they were the the biggest. They were the the empire. They were an empire, the greatest empire of all time. People forget this. Uh, that empire was never going to enter a um, co-leadership agreement with anybody. Mm. And um, and they didn't with the, the the United States, so why would they with New Zealand? And so uh, uh, then we've come along with this. Uh, we've had this hidden history because we've been reluctant to talk about it. And and uh, so so over time, that sort of sunk into the distance, if you know what I mean. But it is starting to reemerge now. I, I feel uh, because people are beginning to realise the connection between the actual history and and the. Uh, uh, Treaty Waitangi and the Waitangi Tribunal. Mm. And the Waitangi Tribunal has been used as a way to plunder the coffers of New Zealand for many years now. Yep, we're an elite and, group. And and so that for these very elite people. Mm. And and they uh, have made themselves extremely wealthy in the process. And the process has not helped ordinary Maori that I see here in Levin or anywhere where I see them mm. over time. It hasn't helped them at all. So that money has been ring-fenced by the uh, Maori elite. And, and a lot of those Maori elite are actually only just Maori, and that's all. That's right. Um, so, Some so of them are whiter than me. And that's right. And so you, we have to ask mm. the question of the wider Maori community, mm. about because the wider Maori community are angry, um, and they're angry with Europeans because they think it's Europeans' fault. I don't think we understand just how much money has been given from the taxpayer to the these this Maori elite that's never found its way to the Maori people. Can you just give us an idea of the of the of the of the immense amount of money we're talking about, and also how how what if it was all just uh, handed out properly to every Maori? And, you know, tell us what what New Zealand would be like. 
So just give us an idea of the volume well, of money. Well, it's um, they, they call it treaty settlements um, uh, uh, $2.5 uh, $2. billion, $2.5 billion. That's, uh, that's $2,500 million. It's an astonishing amount of money. And, and so that, but also, uh, I'm not sure what's exactly included in that. But for example, um, 50% of fisheries, um, uh, 30% of sheep farming, 30% of, of beef, and, you know, beef and lamb, you know, it's a huge amount of money. And, and, uh, uh, and so they've ended up with an economy um, by whatever means, that is worth fifty billion dollars. That's fifty that's billion. An, fifty billion dollars, not fifty million. Fifty billion dollars. Oh, that's the Maori economy. So, how many Maori are in New Zealand? Um, well, it varies, but it, it sort of seems to be somewhere around about eight hundred thousand. Eight hundred thousand. So we've got fifty yep. billion. How many zeros is that? Uh, well, a six. Got it. Yep, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten zeros after the five. Okay, so 50 billion yep. divided by 800,000 equals, let me double check that, $62,500 multiplied by 800,000 is $50 billion. Yeah, so everyone would be getting a, a nice little bonus check for Christmas for $62,500 every Maori. Men, man, woman, and child. So some families would be getting man, woman, and child, hundreds yeah. of thousands. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So, but where's it gone? Because they're not getting it. So yeah, it's disappearing. And so, but it'll be you know some people will be doing very well out of it. Mm. We, I've got. I'm, I'm looking around to make my word files because I've been working on exactly this. Okay. Um, I mean, our economy here it is here. I'll, I'll read this to you, shall I? Yeah, do Just that. Just a little yeah. bit. Hmm. All right, so here we go. Tricky to read, but you'll get it. I hate doing numbers and percentages. They have no humor. Anyway, there's this. Maori economy has benefited, benefited by $2.4 billion from treaty settlements over 30 years, and they are still coming. That is $2,400 million. Figure out what that means to all races in this country of 5 million, especially Maori, who are 850,000 people. I think this article is about Maori for Maori. And we need to know this, but Mary especially need to know this. And the evidence of what I say here is on the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade website. Don't hold back. Go and have a look for yourself. And I've got the link here. So here's, here's the important bit of what it says that I have cut and pasted. What is the Maori economy? Maori have a long history of international trade. Today, the Maori employers who self-identify as Maori Maori own a significant proportion of the assets in the primary sectors. That is 50. My internet is unstable. Right, so Dennis's internet has uh, gone to pot, so we'll get Dennis back uh, in a moment. You're listening to Liberty NZ. My name's Grant Edwards. We'll be back with Dennis in just a moment. Would you call yourself a socialist? Uh, no. You've never told a lie in politics? No, no. See, somebody sent me a video actually last Friday and it had you talking at the socialist oh, yes, yes. and you mentioned the word comrade uh, about four times in a minute. What was that about? It was a rally and I would have been about 25 years old. Comrade, 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 comrade. 
If you are caught in a lie or caught intentionally misleading the New Zealand public, how would you expect to be held to account? Well, I actually believe that it is possible to exist in politics without lying. We drum in that messaging around the dangers of COVID pretty diligently for a full two-week period of sustained propaganda. Sustained propaganda. Welcome back. This is Liberty NZ, and uh, this morning we're talking to Dennis Hall about the Maori economy. Well, I'll just read it straight off the page, and then I won't have to lose my place. Okay. Um, so, entitled The Maori Economy, it's a New Zealand thing. Uh, so, it's a bit long, it's uh, tricky to read. Just take it slow, and you'll get it. Right. Um, anyway, there's this The Maori economy has benefited by $2.4 million from treaty settlements over 30 years, and they are still coming. That is 2,400 millions of dollars. Figure out what that means to all races in this country of 5 million, and especially to Maori, who are 850,000. I think this article is actually about Maori for Maori. We all need to know this, but Maori especially need to know this. And the evidence of what I say here is on the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade website. Don't hold back. Go and have a look for yourself. Um, just put in mfat, government.government.nz. Here is the important bit of what it says, cut and pasted. What is the Maori economy? Maori have a long history in international trade. Today, the Maori economy includes a range of authorities, businesses and employers who self-identify as Maori. Maori own a significant proportion of the assets in the primary sectors, that is 50% of the fishing quota, 40% of forestry, 30% in land production, 30% in sheep and beef production, 10% in dairy production and 10% in kiwifruit production. Products from these sectors typically face the highest uh, tariffs in our export markets. The Maori economy is also diversifying with new investment areas including geothermal, digital services, education, tourism, housing, Chapman Trips 2017 to Maori Trends and Insights estimated the value of Maori asset base at over $50 billion. The increase of wealth in the Asia-Pacific is creating further opportunities for, Maori, for the Maori economy. Culture, family and whakapapa are important in these regions, making Maori particularly well-placed to connect, right? So that's on the website. This is me. Yep. $50 billion. That's that's $58,823 for every man, woman and child in New Zealand. Or a better way of looking at that is 235292 nearly a quarter of a million dollars for every Maori family of four in existence. And that does not include uh, what they are paid in weekly benefits on top of the general benefits that we all get, such as jobs, medical, hospital services, food availability, roads and services that are available to every other person in the nation. The Maori economy has business assets of $50 billion, so that should earn, after wages and expenses, at least 5% per year if it is run properly. That equates to $2.5 billion in profit every year. That, that is $1,500 billion in profit in the bank or somewhere every year. The most important question is this. What is it about all that huge amount of Maori wealth that stops any of it filtering down to the average Maori family living in Otara or Porora? Mm. 
Another question is this. Uh, we can see that this is the Maori economy, but how does it contribute to the general economy whereas ev where every Maori family shares all the benefits with all the rest of us? How do the benefits of these billions of dollars filter down to Mr and Mrs Ordinary Maori and their kids? Because surely all that largesse originally came from the coffers of the nation and was intended to make the average Maori family more comfortable, more nurtured, safe, well-educated, housed, happy and healthy in the modern global society. Do we have to do do we have any answer as to why that massive economy is kept ring fenced by the Maori elite, who then constantly demand more, using the poorest of their people as a reason why the elite should be handed even more wealth to not share with them? This is like the American military. They have to have enemies like Russia and China mm. to be able to ask the American people for more hundreds of billions every year, and it works. But this is us here in New Zealand. Let's look at this from a purely practical and business-like point of view. An asset base of $50 billion should return at least 5 to 10% profit every year, every single year, year on year, till the end of time. And over that time... The assets should also be increasing in value as well. Yep. So let's call it conservatively 5%. That annual every year return profit calculated to 5% from $50 billion should be at least $2.5 billion every year. Who gets it? It sure ain't the struggling Maori families. That annual profit of $2.5 billion from the Maori economy comes to $235,292 for every Maori family every year. You have to calculate it on your computer. You work it out. 850,000 Maori population, more or less. Why are those hard-hit Maori families not getting some of it? What, like, what is actually happening to their share? They were the reason for that gigantic fund being set up in the first place. Why are they still living in damp old state houses and driving clapped-out Holdens? The reason I've written this and the reason I've asked the question is is because of the developing animosity or aggravation between the two peoples in New Zealand. Maori and, because and, and, and white people. Do we call them Pākehā? Is that, a, is, is that a, a derogatory term or is that a term of endearment, Pākehā? Oh, look, um, some people might use it as a term of endearment, but, but because I've been reading all this sort of stuff and doing this over time, I've reached a point where I don't consider it a term of endearment at all. It certainly didn't start out as one. So we should stop so using it then. Yeah, I just call myself European. Yeah. European, okay. Mm. All right, so what's the answer? The thing that has to be addressed is that growing animosity because, you know, look, as, as animosity grows um, and gets nasty, it's going to get nastier and eventually turn to violence. Mm. And that's just the reality of it. And, and at the moment, it's being fueled by this left-wing government. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have to ask myself why, and uh, you know, I don't think these people are stupid. No, I think they're doing it with a with a with an intended purpose, and and uh, they they talk about Maori being alienated while they're busy alienating white people. Liz Lambert said, that, "Problem, reaction, solution." Do you think that's what's going on? They're causing a problem. This government with between us and the Maoris. And then there's got to be reaction, obviously, from us, from all of us, mm. because it's both sides are slinging mud at each other, and then they'll come in with the solution. And the solution will be a permanent leftist uh, mm. or communist.
yeah. society, That's I think. Right. So you think they might want crime and, and uh, violence to increase so that they can come in with their solution of having a, a totalitarian regime that's fully digitised and you can't move, breathe without um, the government knowing about it. I think that's what this is all about, dividing well, us. Well, 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 you have to ask yourself why they are trying to sanitise or, or sort of uh, make an alliance with the mongrel mob. What's that all about? No, the, the, the last, you know, the, the go back to communist societies. Mm. <clears throat> um, the, you know, the main weapon in, in uh, Chairman Mayo's arsenal were the Red Guards. And, and what did he do? I mean, when, when Chairman Mayo took over, he drove all the big businesses out of China. With them went a lot, of, a lot of jobs, thousands and thousands of jobs. So he had all those young people with nothing to do, and he turned them into an army that he then set loose on the population, the Red Guards. Do you see a parallel between what happened in China and what's starting to rump, the rumblings of what's happening in New Zealand now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, um, so, I, look, I was making some notes about this in the early hours of this morning because I do, is what I intend, that's what I seem to do. Just, um, but, you know, w one of the uh, points I um, tried to make was was just about this. You know, the, the, look, I, I should read some of these notes out because they... Um, Go ahead. Thinking about all this is vital to the understanding of New Zealand history because all this has been the area, uh, is in the area of the unspeakable and the unthinkable. Uh, we have to understand rewrite New Zealand history as an important step because we have to understand that which is written out of it is really the most important bit. Uh, and that has always been the case. So uh, Hitler did that, Mayo did that, Stalin did that. They wrote out of the history the bits that contradicted them. This is another bit that I, I wrote. Like it or not, New Zealand is confronted by a dangerous and perhaps insurmountable problem that I believe has been there for decades and has been pushed down the road by politics and academics who basically started off with a cultural lie and then compounded it by obfuscation. We have two cultures basically moving in different directions and uh, they are pandering to one while trying to contain and control the other. We have soon to confront the question which one is going to carry us into the future where we can take our place in the wider world? The answer is actually obvious because all the new people coming here are coming to be part of the great global culture and that is what will undoubtedly win. Disingenuous politics has got involved in the evolution of culture and created dangerous distortions in the reality of that. That coupled with low integrity and paid off media and we have a recipe for a social disaster. And so... The, the, this, uh, the, you know, the comparisons with Chairman Mayo, I, I absolutely think are completely valid because, you know, Ch Chairman Mayo changed the Chinese culture. The, you know, the, 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 when you look at the history of all this, all of the really wealthy people who were making money for China got driven out by communism. And where did they go? They went to Hong Kong, which is why Hong Kong is so wealthy. Mm. And so he was left with all of these young people without jobs. So the job that he gave them was to wander around the country destroying. They went around the country destroying the culture. My wife is Chinese and she doesn't talk about that very much. No. But she does know about it. You know, the the the, uh, the if you put in the red guards, you'll get what they did. That oh, okay. Shocking. Red guards, cultural revolution, red guards. 
1966 through to 68. The red goats were flat out killing their parents. Mm. Well, he told them that their parents were the problem, so they were attacking their parents. So what this government have done, what Jacinda Ardern's government has done, is get involved politically in culture to a degree that's never happened before in New Zealand, Mm. and that is demonstrated every day by our television people who are trying to force-feed bits and pieces of Maori language into the population. Mm. And and if you think about that, um, you know, the, for New Zealanders to do well in the world, they need to be able to, one, speak proper English, and two, they need to be able to speak another language where possible. Mm. And if you're going to learn another language in New Zealand, given our trading arrangements, we should be teaching our children to speak bloody Chinese. Yeah. All the, 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 the other thing that Chairman Mayo insisted on is they all learn Mandarin. I have been watching this for years and years and years, right? Um, and and I'm, look, I'm, I've lived in America. I've spent time in Europe. I've been to China. I love America. I love to live there. I love the culture. I love everything about it. But America is in steep decline. And one of the reasons they're in steep decline is because of identity politics. But China is a place where they all speak one language, right? They, mm. uh, the, there's no racism to speak of because there's only one race there, and that's Chinese. Yeah. And, you know, basically. And so um, the Chinese are getting stronger every day. Uh, they have no qualms about stealing our technology, and they just don't. But I'll tell you what, when they get it, they do it better, just like the Japanese did. The Japanese, what did the Japanese do after World War Two? I mean, they started by making uh, funny little bits and pieces like transistor radios, mm. and look at them now. They're making the flashiest cars on the planet, you know. And, and where did they get all that from? They got it from us. It's basically what they've done is they've taken Western technology and Western culture, and they've polished it up and made it better. Mm. They just have. Just reality. And the Japanese culture has actually got a, some very beautiful aspects to it, you know, it just has. Mm. And so and so is the Chinese one. So so then so now the Chinese are busy doing exactly the same thing. I mean, I don't know why people can't see it because you can you can look at Japan, you can see it as plain as day. The Japanese know what China's doing. Mm. So so China is going to is absolutely going to rule the world because who's gonna stop them? I mean, the Russians aren't going to stop them. These people that we're talking about, they've just landed a probe on Mars. Mm. It's a probe on Mars with a bloody little car that's driving around, you know, the superhighways of Mars picking up rocks. You've said, I think this is a fascinating thing, really, mm. because most people don't want to talk about it. But, you know, the Americans are getting really tetchy because the Chinese are sailing their aircraft carrier around in the South China Sea. So then you've got to say, you know, why do the Americans think they can make the rules about the South China Sea? Because where is it? The South China Sea is actually between China and Japan. Mm-hmm. And, and and if anybody should be moaning, it's the Japanese. But the Japanese aren't that stupid. You know, the, 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 the Chinese are going to sail their ships around the place, and that's it. You know, they've been... Chinese Navy have been here with destroyers and things, you know. What is... Can, is Jacinda, if they, Chinese say, oh, we want to come down here with a boat that's called Yong Sam, mm. uh, and, 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 and it's... Um, it's a research ship going down to Antarctica. What's she going to mm. say? No. I mean, the Chinese are uh, uh, absolutely cap- uh, colonising Africa. What do they want Africa for? I reckon that they, you know, there was this whole thing that Hitler did about what he called living space. Mm. You know, why did he attack the Ukraine? 
he said it was for living space, living living space for China, for the Germans. Mm. Chinese have got one and a half billion people getting bigger all the time. They're going to be looking for living space. You can guarantee it. Uh, uh, you know, the nation doesn't honour or value its European heritage. They do honour and value the Maori heritage, and the Maori heritage has largely been made up since the Treaty of Waitangi was signed. Mm. when they stopped them fighting each other and eating each other. I think my picture of Maoris before we arrived was one where they thought they inhabited the world. They just did. I mean, they might have known, um, you know, philosophically there was islands somewhere, but basically um, we came along and, and changed their lives for them. We say for the better, and I think it was for the better, and most Maoris would agree it was for the better. Absolutely. But I mean... But, but the other thing that we've allowed to happen is for a whole lot of bullshit to rise up around that because yeah. most of the Maori culture that we see today has been manufactured since the Treaty of Waitangi or since the Europeans arrived. I mean, it's um, part of it is just a facsimile of um, Europeanism. But Well, that but, propaganda... <clears throat> That propaganda that the government is, is and Maori groups are pushing with the Maori people in general is making them very racist towards you and I. European. And yeah, we exactly. and in some places, you know, we don't feel safe. And we used to feel safe. We used to trust them. And now we don't. Well, you're right there. I can't, I can't argue with that. Mm. Um, and, and I do. Th I would lay that right. Look, you know, I despise Labour for what they're doing, but I tell you what, National have been guilty of um, yeah. uh, aiding and abetting that over the last bloody 40 years as well. The other problem National's got is that, that they, I don't think they can think outside the square. And they certainly need to start doing that. And that's the, why, that's the reason I've got involved in that whole business. And, I, you know, I'm spending probably 40 hours a week writing stuff to, tr to try and educate people around all of this business that we're putting on that, mm. that um, Facebook page. But, I mean, I'm tr to some extent... I'm preaching to the converted well that was the dennis hall great conversation dennis i enjoy i always enjoy listening to you listening to your points of view and uh so i'm looking forward to having you on the show again coming up very shortly